Here sort of the departments by virtue, macro dads are clever and true, while OND's more cruelty-centered. How many departments are there? Probably Around 30. Five. No one's quite sure. OND tried a violent coup on the others decades ago, and that's why they reduced them down to two, and that's why they keep us all so far apart now. That's an absolute fiction. Did they ever kill anyone? Nope. There was no coup, no one killed anyone. Then why don't we ever hang out? I mean, I'm 99% sure there was no coup. If they come back and attack us, I think we should kill Mark. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So they think we're crazy with nothing to lose. Smart. That's smart. Like I'm imagining them rounding a corner and we're all blood-soaked and I'm wearing your face. And they're like, whose face is that? And I'm like, the last person who fucked with us. And that's just feeling like a really powerful image to me. Just seems like they'd recognize my face. Maybe if you wore it inside out. Welcome to Killer Casting. I am Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director, uh, probably most famous for the show Criminal Minds, but I do a lot more things than that. And I love to watch and become obsessed with great TV shows. And I'm really lucky that there is someone on the other side of the earth who likes to do that with me. And what's his name? That would be me. Uh, hi, folks. Dean Laffin here, dialing in from uh, Melbourne. I never dial it in, but I, I actually am dialing in on this occasion. But uh, very excited to be here, Lisa, in the pod with a couple of special guests and talking about this totally bonkers TV series, which I just loved more and more as it went on. Yeah. So we're talking about Severance. Severance, which is on Apple TV. For those of you who don't have it, it seems like it might be a sleeper hit. I mean, for me, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It totally took over my mind and my mood. And so, of course, I want to talk about it. And to help me talk about it, I have two very special guests who are friends of the pod. Why don't we go with MJ? Go ahead, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is MJ Hughes. I am also from Melbourne. I have a background in sound and lighting design for theatre. I have done a little bit of film and television work as a sound editor and designer. And I am also currently an organiser for the Australian Arts Union, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. So yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm going to be, I'm going to, you and I are going to be vibing out on the sound. The sound was so important. So I'm sure that your ears, no pun intended, were pricking up. And also joining us all the way from New York City is... Hi there. Uh, my name is Matt, uh, Matt Trafik. Yeah, I'm a writer uh, in New York City. A friend of a friend connected us here, got us on the show together and uh, big fan of Severance into all the things, sound, performance, world building, all the stuff, and, and especially the script and the writing on the show. So, Thank you. I really wanted to have Matt come on because he is a writer and he has read the pilot 
for Severance. And I always think it's so interesting to read the pilot and then see what actually came of it, what changes, what they kept and how it evolved. There is quite a history to where this pilot came from. And I don't know, we don't necessarily have to go into that because I just kind of want to jump into the show as it is. So what I'm going to try to do, so if you have not watched Severance, that's okay. We're not going to do any major spoilers if we can possibly. What? But if you have watched it and you're like me, I want to hear people talk about it and gush over it and pick it apart and notice things that maybe I didn't know. In fact, I went back just now and I kind of skimmed through the pilot again. And I was like, oh my God, there was so many Easter eggs in it. And um, and I, I we can talk about that because the pilot obviously sets up the whole premise. But Dean, how would you describe the show? Like if you were just going to describe the premise of the show, how would you describe it? Well, first of all, I need to say that uh, I was blown away by the pilot of this show, right? I thought, wow, this is like it opens and it's hardcore right from the start. They're drilling into, you know, Hallie's head. They're doing this, they're doing that, and it's all very graphic and whatever. Some of you have already worked out, <laughs> Dean, that's not the pilot. That's episode two. Oh, wow. I mistakenly watched episode two as thinking it was the pilot, and I was going, <laughs> this is so fucking bold. It's such a cold open. They're not telling you anything. They don't set it up. It's just straight into it, and this is fantastic. I love this. And then I went to watch episode, the next episode, I'm like, wait a minute, what? And I was <laughs> So there was that. Then I went back and watched the pilot and went, it doesn't matter. I still love it. Now to your question, Lisa, it, I mean, it's a dystopian nightmare. And, and But it's just got so many layers though, doesn't it? It's like on the surface of it, there's not, nothing threatening and it's not really a, you know, a threatening environment. Melchick is there to help and I'm from the company. I'm here to help you and all those sorts of things. But the, the more you go, you just have this growing, dawning sense of unease of, what is going on? And right. you spend the whole series wondering that. I just loved it. And and for me, I loved it from the get-go, but it's one of those rare series for me where I thought it got, we've all seen series that get better and better, but I loved this more and more as I became more involved in, in the multiple universes. In, right. In and Matt, how would you describe the premise? Just the nuts and bolts of the premise if this were like a log line or an elevator pitch. Sure. And I, and I can do this because I've done it a number of times now because I pitched the show to like, a dozen friends and coworkers. Um, and the very short version of the pitch I try to give is it takes place in a world, a kind of messed up dystopian kind of environment where there's a corporation that has um, its employees undergo a surgery, wherein if you want to work in this like secret department, you've got to have an operation that separates your work self from your non-work self. You essentially split your, your yourself, your consciousness into two parts, um, and neither part is aware mm-hmm. of the other. Or aware of what goes on. So your work self works and then doesn't know anything about your outside life and vice versa. Your outside life knows nothing about what's going on in the inside life. And the show does everything to explore what kind of people would do something like that, what kind of company would do something like that, mm-hmm. and all the sort of interesting quirks of that reality. Uh, and it really does expose it in a really fascinating mm-hmm. way. Right. MJ, anything to add to that just as the premise of the show? To me, I would add the idea of what we're willing to sacrifice for our jobs. I've watched a lot of interviews with Ben Stiller and he talks a lot about work-life balance, but to me it was like the show talks about how much we're willing to give to our work. Oh, yeah. Ourselves, we're willing to give, literally. 
I think when I started watching it, I had this huge existential crisis, you know, it started me really deeply thinking about things and remembering. I remember when I was an office drone in New York, Matt, I lived in New York for, you know, 15 years. And my real life was when I could do plays and audition and write and be in theater and all that stuff. But I had to make a living. I had these God fucking awful day jobs, which I was grateful for because they kept me alive. But I mean, I was that office drone who was like looking out the window at the sunshine and going, what the fuck am I doing here? The hours of my life are just passing by. You know what I wouldn't have given to not have to be there, but if a different part of myself, a clone of myself could just do that. And then I could just enjoy the parts of my life that I wanted to, you know, now the people in this show have gone in there for totally different reasons. Um, and we're going to get to that, but I found myself having to pause the show so many times. Like I couldn't bear it. I mean, even the set, I just recognize that set. I remember working in the bowels of the Samsung building in New York city where you couldn't even get radio reception and going down white halls just like that past server after server you know cubbied away god knows what i was doing i'm sure it was inputting into a spreadsheet that nobody would ever you know but look were at scary you know, numbers sit in a file somewhere were they scary um, <laughs> they were scary numbers absolutely they frightened me so i just really felt this in a really deep way um, and i'm going to get to the acting portion in a second but anybody want to chime in on that hey i worked in a call center while i was studying for about maybe four or five years and i had a very similar reaction to lisa i was like <laughs> ptsd oh my. yeah yeah some form of ptsd going on um but yeah, I had a very similar existential crisis and in my new job as an organizer, we're talking about this constantly. You know, we're talking about the fact that people don't need their jobs anymore. People are leaving. They're calling it the great resignation post-pandemic. So I also think that this show is immensely timely in its creation. And I think one of the impacts that it's had has been when it was made, as opposed to if it had been made five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Matt. currently do have a day job, an office job in New York City. Thankfully, it's not as soul crushing as it is for, for many others. Mm -hmm. But certainly, I've had jobs like that. I can relate to jobs like that. It is very much a job. I think I think that many people can relate to. They've had terrible jobs and they've had companies that like there's all sorts of quirky details of the show. The company tries to do like nice things, but those nice things are just so like empty, like beyond the surface. And it, even mm -hmm. the characters who initially appreciate those like token gestures of like a waffle party or a little thing you get to put on your desk, whatever, or a dumb toy. Like it's all just like, it's all yeah, so empty. But it's so true, it true. though. Mm. It's so true to life. Yeah. And it what it really made me realize, it gives you, it just shows you how bizarre these um, corporate rituals are. It is true, even though I wasn't severed, but like once you go through the doors of a corporation, once you go up into that elevator, you change, mm. you do change. You become this other corporate person. You have these rituals like 
coffee breaks and the little mugs that you get as a prize mm-hmm. and yeah. and all these bullshit things yeah. and how you even speak to each other how you enter a room and who you sit by it's all just so weirdly codified that when you see people outside of work you're like oh my god you're a totally different person yeah, right? you know yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird we've all had that experience where you you meet your boss or something outside of work and or you meet his wife and she's like oh my god you know he's i just love him because he's so funny and he's so random and you're going uh we're talking about the same person <laughs> right crazy I want to give a little bit of love, not a little bit. I want to say straight off the bat, the first thing, if I get nothing out, if I manage to get nothing out of my mouth, which is not going to happen, by the way, but I just want to say, (laughs) put down your glasses. Uh, The race is over for the best opening titles of 2022. They are fucking unbelievable. One I I love opening titles. I've got a bit of a thing for them. And I remember back in the early 2000s, there was a firm called, uh, and they're still around, called Digital Kitchen. And they were the guys to sort of, you know, at some point there's a step change in some form of art, right? Whether it's filmmaking or, or TV or, or anything else, music, whatever. And so these guys got famous because they designed the titles for Six Feet Under, Dexter, True Blood, and then lately they've done Narcos. So they're still going. But this incredible sequence is by a guy called Oliver Latter. He's from Berlin. He's known as Extra Wegg as well i mean they're technically very polished but they're also like like the show they're surreal and disturbing like the the tone of them is very weird and i love this story is that ben stiller spotted this guy's instagram page and instantly knew from the posts that he put up there that this guy could be interesting so he sent latter uh the script of the pilot there you go, Ben. you've got something in common with mr latter in berlin and he also gave him the theme music and so he used that and the production design as well. He got sort of all of that stuff to work with and off he went. And I read a quote that I'm, I'm just going to read this out real quick. It's only short. It says, quote, between Ladder's animation, Shapiro's score and typography by Teddy Blanks, the severance opening titles are a masterclass in establishing the show's tone and what makes it special. We get a visual representation of the severance procedure and a refresher on the main character's inner conflict, all wrapped up in visuals that evoke corporate sterility, and the sinister secret that it hides. That's from Bell and Edwards from Mashable. I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. I just think that encapsulates exactly the weird little things of Mark walking down, holding the inflatable versions of himself and all the guys, him falling out of the coffee cup, like the, you know, the, the agents in the matrix all multiplied. It's just brilliant. I love it. So where I live, one minute it's raining and the next minute it's 80 degrees and the trees and plants in my yard start going crazy, which makes my nose, throat and eyes go crazy with all the pollen. But luckily for me, I have gotten relief from the good folks at Plantiva and their natural proprietary formulation of herbal extracts called Allerdx. I mean, I was sneezing and sniffling about to go into a Zoom meeting but I took an Allerdx and in 10 minutes, I had immediate relief. I mean, it was really something. So Plantiva is a family-run business and I have had the pleasure of meeting the Morrisseys, Dr. Steven and his wife, Jenny. And let me tell you, they are the real deal. I am really enjoying the products that they've had me sample. So you can try them yourself. Go to plantiva.com slash killercasting for your exclusive discount code. 
Matt, do you uh, tend to skip opening credits or do you feel like you have to watch them to get, because some shows like uh, Orange is the New Black, I had to watch the opening credits and that Regina Spector song to get into the mood. But what's your, what's your stance? Um, I do tend to skip them. It's funny. You guys may feel a tinge of regret for, I watched it once. I appreciated it. But um, that's it, it like, Matt. You're basically... off. I'm sorry, Matt. This podcast is over. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate no, it. I appreciate your time. Thank I'm you for sorry. Me. This was a wrong casting um, decision. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good opening. I think there are some iconic ones. I think Dexter is like an all time favorite. And Adina, I'm going to disagree with you here. I don't know if you watched the show Peacemaker this year, but that is an opening that you truly cannot miss because it no, is the catchiest song okay. of all time. Ooh. Google. I can't remember it. I watched one episode. Uh, oh, hang on. Is that, is that the one where they're dancing? They're all dancing at the start? Yeah. Do you really want to do yeah. you really want okay. to taste it? I have it? seen it. And, uh, it's just, I, and... I downloaded the song. <laughs> I listened to the song every morning to wake myself up. It, it was just like, that's more for like, it was so damn catchy and like thrilling to watch. Whereas anything else, like, like I, I definitely wanted to see it the first time and I appreciated it. But like, I just want to get to this. I want to get to the episode. I want to get mm. to the real, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. what the show is doing, connecting stuff, but like that's a barrier between you and like getting to the show. So I uh, I skip intro um, after one or two views, pretty much. So MJ, it reminded me of Eric Satie. I don't know if you are familiar with him, but it reminded me of that sort of haunting, but not melodramatic, very spare. But talk, talk to me about what you hear when you watch the pilot. The major comparison for me was one that I'm surprised neither of you brought up was in terms of situating the character, Mark, was Mad mm. Men. I got oh, yeah. big Mad Men. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and because we don't know that that's Mark until we watch the show. We don't know that that's Don Draper falling out the window until mm-hmm. we watch the show. And so mm-hmm. I think it was absolutely brilliant at drawing us into the world before the show had even started, before there was a word mm-hmm. of dialogue. And that mm-hmm. leads me into when I watched the pilot, I think that when I hear a pilot that's put together so brilliantly musically, I automatically Google, um, this is my bias coming through, who the sound editor is. And in this series, it was the principal sound editor was Peter Baldock. If that name sounds familiar to you, worked on the 1982, the original Blade Runner. And so he knows dystopian fiction very well. And when I heard the pilot soundtrack, I was like, okay, this is going to hook me straight away because there was nothing. There was this sparse, incredibly minor tones, distortion that mirrored the characters in a world in a way that I haven't heard before. So let's let's get into the characters. So the, our main character that we're following is Mark Scout, played by the incredible Adam Scott, who I've been a fan of for so long. But this is just an unbelievable turn for him. A lot of times he's known for ironic comedies and, and stuff like that. And he just goes so deep. He has this amazing quality where he can seem pleasant and terrified at the same time. He's, he's just got so 
so many layers behind his eyes. And so he's deep still in the throes of grief over the death of his wife. And that's why he longed for this procedure so that he doesn't have to deal with his grief while he's at work. But he is still, you know, so deep in the throes of it. And everybody around him is sort of walking on eggshells. And we get to know each of the characters in this office. Uh, I mean, I never knew that I needed to see a love story between John Turturro and Christopher Walken, but I so did. Anyway, we'll get to that. But you have, so you have Mark who's there because of that. You have Helly who is this unwilling participant in this. She's a new hire, quote unquote. And so we get to see the world through her eyes. Um, And then you have John Turturro playing this affected company man who has this bullshit mid-Atlantic accent that we haven't heard in a really long time. It's almost become extinct. And then we have Zach Cherry, this improv guy who's the office. What would you call him? Like the office... Crank? I don't know. I, everybody has has worked with a guy like this, you know? Yeah, he's sort of like the office suck-up. There, there's some stereotypes, isn't there? Like Mark's the do-goody, do-gooder guy, and, you know, Helly's come in and she's a bit of a chaos engine, and uh, John uh, Taturo's character just wants to do things by the book. He's always referencing a manual and some obscure passage of it, and uh, and Zach's like the guy who's always trying to suck up the Melchick and get his, you know, get his little Oh, I didn't see him that way. Pieces. I saw him as the guy who's like, he's always the tough talker. Like, he talks big. Like, we're going to... Yeah, you know, yeah. but you know, he's he really like doesn't have the, the guts. Um, mm. Matt, what was the main what did you think when you read the pilot? Did you read it before or after seeing the show? And what were the main differences that you can remember? So I read the pilot after uh watching the 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 pilot. I read, yeah, I read the script afterwards. Um, we in our writing group, we just were like looking for scripts that were interesting. And I, at the time I had watched the pilot, it was really into it. And it was like, this is a really cool pilot. I'm curious to see how much it changed. And it actually changed more dramatically, probably than any pilot I'd ever read to my, I haven't read a ton of like of TV show pilots for shows that are currently airing. But the major, I mean, can I talk about, uh, about the, the, the actual pilot right now? Spoil it, whatever. Um, yeah, we can, we can spoil Great. the pilot. So yeah. uh, the pilot opens with uh, Britt uh, Lower's character, uh, Heli, uh, on the table. And and Mark asking mm-hmm. the other individual, I mean, like, you know, uh, who are you? Who are you? Doing the whole survey of questions. In the original script, it's Mark on the table, naked, um, and waking up. And it's like Milchek, I think, asking him, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Wow. And Heli's there. But she's just like another, another like she's like uh, Chanta Toro or whatever, like one of her co- one of his coworkers that she, he's introduced to. And so it follows pretty much Mark the whole time. It's Mark's whole story, and uh, I think there's a flashback where they go into like um, him pre going to the company, and it kind of bounces between those two timelines. Like, how did he get there? It's like it's interesting. It's also like I think inferior. I think they made all the right choices in improving it. I think like mm. I think having Mark be the established guy. While also like being our protagonist is 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 well done because he's he's sort of the yeah. one guy we and we follow him outside of his work life in the present as opposed to in the pilot we only sort of see him in the past and so it's like these two timelines that don't really sync up perfectly well having Heli be the character like our introduction to this world is crazy like how you like become alive as a worker in in Severance be that plot line which continues for the rest of the season but like Mark be just like there like established he's there he's sort of rolling with the punches mm-hmm. of this insanity and trying to show like a bit of empathy like he's a, it's a good protagonist move because he's there he's trying to be a good guy amidst this like corporate 
bullshit, like dystopian nightmare awfulness. Also, one last thing is Cobell is a little more darkly funny. She's a little more like by scathingly bar- like sarcastic in the script, uh, which I actually did appreciate. That, that was one, one thing I kind of missed from the show where she's really much like very dry in this in the show. Um, she's funny in the pilot and they sort of lost that with her, which maybe they needed, maybe needed to. Very interesting. Two points that you just brought up there. One that makes so much sense to me that it was originally um, uh, Mark naked on the table, because when you go back and look at that shot top down, it's the top down camera POV onto the table. It's almost like a womb. There's a whole lot of not, you know what I mean? Like the framing is. So if he was naked on that table, that would be even sort of more like that. And the interesting thing about uh, talking about the pilot versus the way that it's ended up with Cabell, I read an interview with Patricia Arquette just yesterday where she said it was really interesting that they ended up doing, so when she was doing lines, they did like half a dozen different takes on the lines and some of them were kind of funny and some of them she had a bit more emotion and some whatever. And she said, I just trusted that they would pick the right one and make it work and make it fit. So to your point, Matt, um, Mm. maybe it was written that way, but when they got into production, they decided let's do it a few different ways and see which way we want to take it in various scenes. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Yeah, I'm actually glad that that she was played that way, the way that we saw in the pilot. I think that would have it would have been completely inappropriate. Well, not inappropriate, it's not the right word, but I just don't think it would have worked if she had been darkly, sarcastically funny because I think you got the sort of comedic relief in some of the other characters and you didn't necessarily need her to be even darkly humorous, um, I don't think, yeah. But I think that was a really good decision, yeah. Really, it might have lowered her status and made the scene made it all a little bit less like dystopian, right? If she was at all being making jokes along the way, yeah. I thought she was hilarious. I mean, just rewatching it this morning, I mean, the pilot when she's like, Mark, am I disappointed in you because of your incompetence? Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, she, and of course, Patricia Arquette has a very long history with Ben Stiller, and he also directed her in Escape at Danamora, which we covered extensively on my other podcast. And so she's just her performance is a fucking batshit crazy. I loved it. She also is affecting this uh, mid-Atlantic accent mock. It's not British. It's this thing that newscasters <laughs> yeah. used to have. And if you trained in theater, you had to learn this mid-Atlantic dialect. And she's just so tightly held. And just the wheels are turning on her. I just loved it. I thought, and it's so different than what, how, she, what you know, her obviously her character in Escape at Danamora or really anything I've ever seen her do she's just come into her own oh, she's in this crushing fabulous this role, way she? she's just so amazing yeah so one point it's interesting that when we look at the entire series and the innies and the outies and the locations she is the only so the innies are the innies and when they're out they're the outies but she's the only one who is as an Audi or in the real world who is playing a character right because she's playing mrs mrs selby, mrs. selby right yeah, yeah. selby so that that's kind of ironic, but particularly with her performance, Lisa, in the final, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but in the final moments of the final scene, there's an exchange between her and Helly when she's really angry and she's threatening Helly and she's, you see the steel come into Helly and she says something to her and walks out onto the stage. But I'm looking at that scene going, if this is not a homage to David Lynch's 
wild at heart, I will I will run a naked up. Huh. Oh yeah. So there's a scene in Wild at Heart which just got an ultra close-up on the actress, uh, NJ, I'm blanking, uh, Diane. Lad. No, sorry? Lad, Diane yeah. Ladd. Diane Ladd. And it's an ultra close-up and she's smearing lipstick all over her face and she's doing this really intense scene right into the camera. And in the scene at, at, at the end of F9, the camera's just reversing, reversing with ultra close-ups on both um, Heli and uh, and her. And I'm just going, that is and it's David Lynch. That's no accident. That is definitely someone saying, yeah, that scene was important to me back in whatever it was, 1990-ish, I think. MJ? Uh, yeah, and I don't know if we'll come on to this, but the David Lynch, yeah, comparison, I think Dina's mentioned that, but I just want to mention her name just in case we don't get on to talk about her, but Jessica Lee Garnier is the director of photography on this show, and she is absolutely fucking brilliant. I listened to an interview on the Go Creative podcast, uh, which is a podcast for people in tech, where she explains a lot of the uh, stylistic decisions and choices and how they got the buildings and how they filmed the elevator shots. And I, I mean, I can't explain it any better than she does. I thoroughly recommend you listen to the interview. But give an example, yeah, MJ. That, give, give an example of one thing that you think was brilliant. Well, the ele- the scenes as they sever, the elevator scenes as they sever, the use of uh, the both the dolly, so the pulling out and the the zoom in on Mark's face, you really got an insight into okay, ding, he is now switched, he is now completely different, has no memories of who he is. But she talked about the decision to use the Zolly as opposed to just an ordinary Dolly Zoom. And what she wanted to achieve was uh, the sense of complete uh, disorder and and unease, not in Mark, but in us, in viewers. Like how much are we disoriented about that (laughs) as well? But, yeah, brilliant cinematography. And I think that's what drew me into the show. It wasn't not even the acting. It was the combination of cinematography, uh, sound design, editing and composition. And to that, can we add production design? Have you ever seen anything with the production? I'm just absolutely fucking nuts on the production design in this. I'm obsessed with it. It's just from from the minute, like as you say, MJ, it's beautifully shot. But my God, do I really want to dig deep on 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 the production design because it is incredible. We'll we'll come back to that because I've got some notes on that I really want to share. All right, folks. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, but with this show, whew, we've been down a lot of corridors. But there's lots more corridors we need to go down. Lots more goats we need to find, and lots of questions to be answered. And we will cover those in part two, which is coming up very shortly. But for now, this is Killer Casting. Signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at choicevoiceproductions.com. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood Legends, Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting, out.